I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raptor Views brought to you by Yahoo Sports Canada. This is a draft recap as well as a free agency preview i'm joined by daniel hackett who's a stats expert on raptors twitter and raptors hq thank you so much daniel for joining us today how are you no problem i'm good thanks a lot for having me on the raptors have been in the news a lot and i feel like that's just become a trend for a while there off-season content from the Raptors seemed fairly rare, right? We didn't get too much in the Chris Bosh days. It was like, who are you going to get? No one. But now it feels like everyone wants someone from the Raptors. Like, we're a farm team supposed to be building guys out, developing them just to ship them away. And the latest guy that has teams circling the wagon, and we've heard tons of trade rumors about, seems to be OG Ananobi, who's in Toronto right now with the team, Everything seems to be rosy on Toronto's side, but from the outside, they seem to want him. What are your takes on all of the rumors about OG Ananobi? Well, the Raptors are real good at keeping their mouths shut, which helps a lot. So there's always a rumor every year about some new Raptor player that's available because the Raptors don't go out and say no, it's not. So it's very easy to float those rumors out there. Mind you, I'm sure other teams would love to have the players that are very good on the Raptors uh, for as little as they can give up. Um, I doubt that there was a whole lot real about the OG rumors. Um, it's possible that there's a, a seed of truth about him wanting a bigger role. That's not surprising. All players want a bigger role. <laughs> Anybody that makes the NBA is somebody that is a superstar on the way up. So it makes sense that they think of themselves that way. Um, Wait. Which is so fascinating to me, because even thinking about the teams that he was rumored to, you know, teams that were rumored to have wanted him, the Portland Trailblazers just brought on Jeremy Grant. Have Damian Lillard coming back, who's like a 30% usage guy. He is their superstar. He's going to eat up lots of possessions. Anthony Simons taking up the role of CJ CJ Miles, CJ McCollum, and (laughs) eating up that usage there. You have Yusuf Nurkic, who is a center that probably has more usage than most other centers, than 99% of centers in the league. And then they also brought in Jeremy Grant, who loves to eat as many possessions as he possibly can. How many would he have truly and realistically seen joining a team like that or a team like the Nuggets that will be having a lot of their guys, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., back, who are obviously offensive juggernauts, and will be eating up tons of possessions as well. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on the teams that wanted him and were using that as a reason to possibly pry him away? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Blazers for sure, I think, is where most of the noise was coming from. Yeah. And I do think they wanted him. Yeah. Um, I don't think that they wanted him to help him out and give him a bigger role. I think they wanted him because he's great at what he does and they wanted him to do exactly that. Um, And they just thought this was an opportunity to try to get him if he was not happy with his current circumstances and they can 
deal with him not being happy there later. Um, uh, yeah, so the Jeremy Grant thing did, I think, happen. I suspect that happened because they found out that OG just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I think Jeremy Grant is OGN and OB very, very light. Uh, somebody achievable and acquirable for the Blazers, where OG wasn't really. I mean, if you look at the best offer the Blazers can put together, they were theoretically pitching the seventh pick. Um, so the seventh pick, and then you had, uh, who was it? I think it was Josh Hart in a lot of them. Josh, Josh Hart, Hart in the seventh. Probably Nasir Little would be the yeah. other piece that they throw in. Which, um, just to make the salary work. And it's like, sure, they're both fine players, but that's not, the, the Raptors aren't in a position where they need to trade OG and Anobi away. They're in a position where they definitely don't want to, but if they see a deal that they really can't say no to, they might consider it. Or if there's an opportunity for a star, say. Um, but none of that is true from that Portland offer. You'd think that the obvious piece to add is actually Anthony Simons, but yeah. A few things are wrong with that. A, very good offensive player, doesn't play any defense. So Nick Nurse was probably not going to be happy about that. B, he's a restricted free agent. So it's very difficult to combine sign-in trades with trades of the draft pick in the recent draft. That's exactly the sort of deal that the NBA front office will say, um, no, you can't, you can't agree with sign-in trades at the draft. It's against right. the rules. You can't make that trade. Um, so teams are very careful not to make trades like that. And, uh, it's very rarely seen uh, something like that. So it's unlikely they could have really put a real offer together. Right. And the Blazers confuse me too, because with Simons there, they want to keep him and understandably so he's incredibly talented and so young, but this idea of like needing to compete, but also needing to remain young just in case Damian Lillard leaves. I don't know what they're building. Good luck to them. I just know that OGN and Obi is not going to be a part of it, guys. Sorry. <laughs> no, he's not. As for other teams, I don't even know who else. I mean, there's a lot of rumors out there basically saying that the Raptors want a center. So yeah. teams that are trying to move a center probably were saying, maybe we can get OG back. <laughs> Would be the only other interest I can see on the market for. So, do you include Don OG? Denver, in a... You need to improve your perimeter defense and want to give us Jokic. I'm not going to say no. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I suspect Jokic and Embiid are off the market. But the yeah. question is, if Gobert's out there, mm. is that a line you cross? Did, does OG thoughts? go out in a deal like that? I'm hesitant. <laughs> uh, my point of view on Gobert is that there are there are risks associated with trading for him. He's had some struggles in the playoffs. Um, he's a better offensive player than people give him credit for, but he's still not exactly a, when you get paid $40 million a year, there's a certain expectation of star power on that end, which he doesn't have. Um, he provides, of course, tremendous value at the defensive end. But the bet you'd be making bringing him in is our offense is going to be something. We're not sure what, but we can put four, six, nine guys out there with Rudy Gobert and no one will ever score ever again. <laughs> but if that you have to trade... Well. If you have to trade OG Ananobi to get him, it's less obvious that you can put those pieces around him to say, yeah. well, let's just see what we can do with a historic defense. A defense. Um, if you start having to trade half of that defense, it doesn't, uh, the math doesn't make as much sense. No. 
Uh, completely agree. Completely agree. Now, I do want to sort of shift our focus. So a trade was made halfway through the season. The Raptors traded for Thaddeus Young. And in part of that deal, they moved back. They gave up their first round pick for the Detroit's second round pick, which ended up being a swap for the 20th overall pick to the 33rd overall pick. So moving 10 spots back in that deal. And at the time, the Raptors did say that they were making that move because they kind of, in more or less words, felt like they could still get the guy that they were after at 33. Draft comes around, Christian Coloco gets selected by the Toronto Raptors at number 33. And as someone who does not pay any attention to college basketball, I look at him and I'm like, 7'2", 7'5", wingspan, nine and a half, standing reach. <laughs> like, also started playing basketball late, comes from the exact same small town as Pascal Siakam was scouted by Masai Ujiri, Basketball Without Borders and Giants of Africa. Kind of makes sense that this is the type of player that the Raptors are going after. I kind of believe that, yeah, the Raptors were looking at it. Like, we could probably get our guys still at number 33. What are your thoughts on that pick? Yeah, I mean, it, it sure sounds like the sort of pick where if, you, if they were sitting at 20 and we mm-hmm. went into the draft, there'd be a list of guys that we'd think they might pick. And then we'd all be surprised on draft night when they reached for Christian Coloco. Bruno Kubo, it'd be... Well, Bruno's the most extreme Also 20th, example, but he was but also 20th. It would have yes, been perfect. That's true. Uh, <laughs> it, it rhymes. The, yeah. uh, the other example, actually, is Pascal Siakam. Yeah. Pascal Siakam was supposed to be an early to mid-second round pick uh, in his draft somewhere in the late 30s. And they reached about 10 spots to grab him and surprise people, even with a few names that in that draft people thought were slipping they thought it was another OG Ananobi situation, yeah. slipping down the draft to a spot he shouldn't be. Um, but just like the rest of the league, they passed on, <laughs> on those guys as well. Um, and, and grabbed Pascal. So that's actually, the I think, the best comparison for where they yeah. could have been is they're reaching. They're Instead of reaching 10 spots to grab the guy they want because they don't like the same guys that other teams do, they just moved down 10 spots and grabbed him there anyway. So it's... Uh, I mean, it's possible there was one or two guys ahead of him on their list that they didn't get because they moved down, but they certainly, I'd think they'd be very happy with the player they got. Yeah. Um, I was trying to find the story. I can't, I can't remember it. I don't have it here in my notes, but um, there was a, a, a guy who, um, Wikipedia, Draft Express, somebody, I don't want to credit the wrong person, I don't know, had his age set wrong, and so he was two years older. Do you, do you, did you read the story online? I heard that story as well, but I, I don't have the details. I don't, like, yeah, I don't have all of the details there, but he was um, online, seen as being two years older. So Draft Scouts teams, everybody else thought that he was two years older than he was, and his draft stock absolutely plummeted. And once they found out that he was actually 20 as opposed to being 22, it rose back up again once that um, correction was made there. So I kind of want to bring this back to the Raptors because I was, I was kind of going through this thought. It's not a fully formed thought, but I was tweeting about it earlier today. And it's how the Raptors are able to get some of these steals, right? Like a Pascal Siakam, like a Christian Coloco, who are older guys, even Fred Van Vliet, even Terrence Davis. These are 22-year-old guys that the Raptors are drafting. Now, part of that, I think, is that, for one, the Raptors have been able to compete and develop at the same time. And I do think bringing in older guys that are just more NBA-ready because they're not teenagers but are adults does help. Um, But I think another part is, oftentimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, or, like, tell me if you sort of agree with this thought here, which is, 
teams value youth in the draft. And I think the logic there is that if a player is this good, and we hear it all the time with Jason Tatum, he's only 24, he's only 19, right? Like, imagine what he'll be. He's been 19 for a decade. He's, he's, he'll be 19 until he retires. Um, but, like, he's, you know, he's only this age. Imagine what he'll be like in his prime, when his prime hits at 28. And so we're constantly, you know, and growth isn't linear, we all know that. But I do think that a lot of teams or just general NBA intelligentsia falls into the trap of, and believing in it. And oftentimes it's true. There's a reason why people believe the things that they do. But if Pascal Siakam were 20, let's say in 2016, would he have gone up higher? Because people see a raw prospect at 22 and are like, okay, he's kind of, he's been in a program. Pascal wasn't a four-year player. He was only a two-year player, but like still he's been in the program for a while. And he's only capped out at this at 22 playing amongst people who are this much younger than him, what will he look when he get to the NBA level? And the Raptors, meanwhile, are looking at this and being like, he just started playing basketball at 17. Like, our rubric and our timeline is completely different. And what the Raptors, I think, prioritize is completely different, which is why they've been able to get so many steals, like Pascal, like Fred, like Terrence Davis, like, hopefully, Christian Coloco, like OG Ananobi, although we know that that's more sort of injury-related than anything else. But like, what are your thoughts on that? That's a long ramble. But yeah. Well, I think the Raptors have done a very good job of establishing that there are certain things that most teams care about that they do not. Right. Just straight up do not care. If a prospect cannot shoot, can teach they, can, they can teach them how to shoot. It's not a problem. Uh, so there's, there's, I think that was a big part of their we can move from 20 to 30 because half the guys in there are getting picked because they can shoot and we won't right. be picking them anyway. Um. So, I mean, they want to be able to, they, they'll follow their, their prospects closely and they want to see that, you know, they make strides and there's positive signs and there's skill sets being developed. And I think maybe that's bigger than any specific age thing. Like, I mean, yes, yeah, some of these guys start late, start playing basketball 15 or 17. And yeah, maybe the timeline's different for them. But I think even if a guy had started early and just is a late bloomer yeah, in college, you know, struggles for the first couple seasons and then picks some things up as it goes along. It shows that development capability. That's something I think the Raptors really latch on to when they see that somebody can can make those strides. Right. Um, and they they tend to follow guys for a long time before they are, are dealing with them at the draft. I mean, that's the reality of drafting older players is that you've been seeing them for years and years. So they really get a sense for, for the steps that a player can take. Um, Right, and I also think age is overrated in the NBA. Like, we're getting to a point where players are playing longer than ever. Um, so this 30 is not is not the the mark that it used to be, right? We're watching Pascal Siakam, who is 28, and I still think is growing and getting better. But I do want to focus on the draft and not Pascal Siakam so much. Let's get back to Christian Goloko, sure. who is, I mean, so what the Raptors did, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, people said that they need – a big, a drop big specifically, someone who um, can protect the rim, someone who is not 6'9", pretending to be a center, but like a full-blown seven-foot, seven-footer. They got that in Christian Coloco. What are your thoughts on the pick in general? Yeah, so I mean, like the Raptors build has sort of been, they're saying there's all these 6'9 players and they don't need a center. Yeah. I don't think that the team necessarily thought, well, we don't value a big center. 
I think what their position was, was we don't want to go expend assets to fill that gap right now. Uh, you can go back a couple of years, the Tampa year, like they really, they, they said, okay, we've got Marcus Hall and we've got Serge Ibaka, who are both veteran players, established centers in the league, helped us win a championship. And they just sort of said, you know, it's nice having you here. See you on the other side. We're not interested in, in really bringing you back. They could very easily have brought one or both of them back um, and did not. Um, and part of it, I think, was just we want to just let our young players develop, play as many minutes as they can. And if we have to throw them into the fire and they play out of position, let's see if they can handle it. Let's see what we can put together that makes sense. Um, and even this past year, I mean, they got Precious Achua, who they gave a few starts out the gate because Pascal was injured. Um, but as soon as everybody got healthy, he was back to the bench and they were running five guys small. Now, I don't really like the small lineup. I didn't do very well, but, uh, but they just wanted to see what guys could do. Right. And they weren't going to rush out, get some middling veteran center to plug a hole. They want to see if guys can swim and they toss them in. Um, that doesn't mean that when given the opportunity, they won't pick somebody that fits with right. what they want to do. Um, Coloco is an interesting pick because, you know, you, we call him a, a drop big and he is, he can, he's played a lot of drop and that's, he's a rim protector and he's just what you need in the drop system. Right. But I think he is also potentially a little more than that. I think that they think that he's got the foot speed to maybe play, not, you know, switching everything, but a little bit of switching in the defense. Um, I'm actually really interested to see how Nick Nurse decides to use him in a zone. Um, Raptors play a lot of zone, but they never have a rim protector in there. Yeah. What can a Raptors zone look like when you've got a guy at the rim and you've got a bunch of guys who are 6'9 <laughs> out on the perimeter switching everything? I don't know, but I'm interested to see what it looks like. Um, so it'd be, it'd be neat if he got uh, some minutes off the bench this year to, to really try some things out. They, they used a, a bench lineup that was all tall, long, rangy guys last year. You throw a seven-foot center with a seven-five wingspan into that mix and see what it can do. Do you think then he's as as an older rookie? Do you think he's ready to compete right away? Like, can the Raptors just throw him into the fire, see if he can swim? It's 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 very hard to say okay. <laughs> until we see him. Um, I mean, OG Ananobi's rookie year when they drafted him, they were thinking, okay, well, this guy he can probably play some minutes off the bench. Yeah, And the shot will probably come along at some point because he hadn't really shot it. And then they started in a small forward every game that year. After I think after the first week or so. Uh, you should have won defensive player of the year after that one game in Houston. I'm just saying, it's just one game is all it took for me. Very much so. <laughs> and then he shoots 40% in his rookie year, yeah. right? So you never really know what a guy's going to be able to do. Um, and then a guy like Pascal Siakam, they started him and – and it was really rough <laughs> for the first half season. Sure. And then he ended up having to spend time in the G League before he right. really caught on. And Coloco could be anywhere in that range. Uh, maybe he's maybe he's a backup center from day one. He shows out in training camp, and they just run him out there for 10, 15 a game, and they don't have to think about it. But maybe he does need a little bit of seasoning, and maybe they even just want to send him down to the 905. Let him stretch his game down there for stretches during the season. I mean, the, this is one of the reasons they signed Kem Birch a couple years ago. People will look at his contract and say, oh, he's making like $7 million a year. He's not really that good. <laughs> he's fine, but he's not really that good. And 
he's the, the thing is that he can plug in as a center, as a starter. He can plug in as a bench player. He can basically just he can sit on the bench if if you've got two guys you want to play in front of him. He's not going to cause a fuss sitting on the bench. And I think the reason that they signed him to that deal was, well, we're going to bring in Precious Achua, mm. and hey, maybe he can eventually start for us, but we don't want to push him into that until we know he's ready. So Kim Birch can start, or we'll yeah. go small. And then the season went along, and frankly, by the end of last year, I was no big fan of Precious at the start, but he should definitely have been starting down the stretch. <laughs> and in the playoffs, of course, we saw him start to start some games um, and play a lot of minutes, which which is the bigger thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, as you're talking, I'm like, in my head, just going over, Precious is the mix of OG and Pascal. Like, you were just talking about Pascal needing to go to the G League, needing to get more reps. 50% of Precious of Jua is that experiment. <laughs> and then, like, being able to start favorite player ever right away, 50% of the Precious of Jua is that. <laughs> yeah. Precious had an interesting season just because, like, they, they did start him right away because of that yeah. injury. And his lineups had success. They were doing well. I was coming – early in the season, I was doing mea culpa, saying I didn't think he could do it, but they're winning their minutes, so I don't know. Um, and then, of course, as the season went along, uh, his – defensive play was a little which is shocking considering where it ended up but his yeah. defensive play really fell off uh his offense is always spotty but he didn't know where to be on the floor his focus wasn't there sort of into like december sort of time frame and then he moved to the bench and he paired up with boucher and found his mojo throughout the year and really came on strong like the shooting aside the shooting's great i'm a yeah. big fan of the fact that he can shoot like 50 percent from three now great but really the promising thing that I saw from last year was over the course of the year I thought he moved from a overrated defender to probably an underrated defender even with how people rate him he was fantastic towards the end of the year for sure like it just phenomenal watching it watching him especially and we'll, we'll get it well there's there's so much time to talk about pressure too so we talked a little bit about Christian Kologo people came in to this offseason and said that's what the Raptors need the other thing that they mentioned that the Raptors need is someone else who can space the floor. You just need more shooting, especially off the bench. Another guy who can do that. And the Raptors went out and got someone who kind of fits in exactly with what this team has is building here. Uh, a 6'6 six, six wing, I want to say, with a 7-foot or 7-1 wingspan in Ron Harper Jr., of course, son of Ron Harper, <laughs> uh, Bulls legend. Um, but, yeah, so he comes in as someone who – and shoot the ball and, and certainly did also he comes in on a two-way contract so I want to know what are your thoughts on the Raptors picking him up so last year our big two-way signing was uh Champagny yeah and so he was up and down quite a bit he played quite a few games with the Raptors so Harper being on a two-way doesn't necessarily mean that he's out of the equation for the rotation right. Nick Nurse will use a guy if he can prove that he should be used um I think Harper's probably got a ways to go now he can shoot. He can shoot the heck out of the ball <laughs> based on based on this past season. I mean, I'm no college expert. I can't project what uh what he's gonna be able to do at the NBA with Mr. the ninety nine percent move over Matt Thomas. I'll do That's it. That's right. <laughs> he's, well, I mean and the benefit here, of course, is that it's actually from college, which is a little more projectable onto the NBA than some of the European leagues. But uh and that he's six seven and can get a shot off. And that he's he's tall. <laughs> and now he's not he, he has not that much of an athlete. He does have like a high body percentage and all these things that we probably shouldn't be saying about players when we, <laughs> we discuss whether they've been drafted. Um, but he probably is somebody that has to work on their conditioning or on their um, 
sort of just their overall athleticism uh, yeah. in the G League for a while. Now, towards the end of the year, uh, if past January, they find that he's really still, he's shooting the heck out of the ball in the G League and he's picking up the defensive schemes and, and knows what to do. He could absolutely see it sometime. Um, I never want to write off any of these guys. Maybe like, because I just hear the name Ron Harper, I think defense. Are we getting a little bit of that from Ron Harper Jr.? Or is it just the offensive shooting there? So I don't know Harper Jr.'s game that well. Okay. Um, from what I read up on him, it sounds like he's got a little bit of work to do uh, okay. on the defensive end. Um, but he certainly has the tool set. I mean, he's got the wingspan. He's got uh, – it seems like he's he's pretty switchable. He'll guard lots of positions. Um, the, the trick will be – I think he struggled – and from what I read, he struggled with guarding small guards, mm. um, which is one of the things that the Raptors kind of need their guys to be able to do if they're going to be switching everything. Right. Um, so it's something that I keep an eye on as we go through the through the year. But uh, he's on a two-way contract, so it's not uh, not something that you have to figure out right away. That's true. So we mentioned it. People have been clamoring for the Raptors to get some three-point shooting and to get a, a center so that they can play some some drop defense because like I, we saw it with the Celtics the Celtics are one of the switchiest teams greatest defense but in the playoffs as it went down they really did have to go and to drop even against Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors we saw it sure but nothing still, really worked against Steph <laughs> it did not oh god I mean like it allowed finals MVP we're ha- we're happy um but um oh, here, here's where I'm gonna pivot here's where I'm gonna pivot still in the off season, people are going to be clamoring for those two things, right? Like that's not, that did not quiet all of the people. So I do want to pivot to the free agency. First things first, I do know that a lot of people do find it beneficial when we explain. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Certain terms. So you just mentioned a two-way player. For the people who don't necessarily know what a two-way player is, can you sort of give them an explanation really quickly? Sure. So the NBA doesn't really have a proper minor league. A lot of other leagues, like the Major League Baseball, the NHL, they have a minor league that teams can teams will have an affiliate team and they can send players down anytime they like, uh, as long as they get the contract details worked out. Um, and they can play in the minors and they can play against younger players uh, and develop their games and they can call them back up. The NBA doesn't have that. They have this thing called the G League, which was originally the D League, but got rebranded when Gatorade got involved. Um, in any case, the teams do have these affiliate teams, but there's not really much of a way to send players down. If players are very early in their career, you can assign them to your G League team. 
um, and have them play a little bit down there. But there's not really a benefit to your roster construction like other leagues have. You can't he's not off your roster he's still taking up a spot if you right. do that. so you can't have half your team down there because you need to be able to put guys on the floor um a two-way player essentially is somebody that kind of signs a contract with the g league team there are there are straight up g league contracts that players can sign if they want to play in the g league uh and they'll play down there and hopefully get picked up by an nba team a two-way is kind of halfway between where you sign a contract with the the nba team but you're kind of also signing a contract with their g league team because the idea is that uh, you make a certain salary, an NBA level salary, when you're playing with your NBA team, and you can be sent down anytime and you make a smaller salary, a G League level salary. Well, a little higher than most of the G League players, but essentially a G League level salary when you're down there developing. Um, the benefit to this is that the that NBA way. added basically that you, you have a 15 man roster. Right. That's all you can fit in your team, but they've actually added two additional slots for these two way players, 16 and 17. Um, so that you're not taking up space for the guys you want on the floor and you can send them down without impacting who you have available. Right. Perfect. No, thank you. Um, and, and now let's get into the free agency, which I'm going to get you to explain some, some terms here as well. But first let's talk about who the Raptors have that are free agents. Steve Mihailuk opted into his contract. It's not him necessarily, but we do have Chris Boucher and Thaddeus Young. It's probably two people that we're going to be talking about who the Raptors I think are hoping to sign. I want to know what your take is on that. And obviously Utah Watanabe, the Raptors are losing a lot of their uh, forward depth off the bench that they really brought in to hopefully be shooters and can play defense. So hopefully Ron Harper Jr. can really slot in there and be great for them. What are your thoughts first on Chris Boucher? How much can you even give us a guess or like, what do you think the Raptors have to do to really keep him? Yeah. So, I mean, like that's, that's the key point is they're potentially losing these players. They could keep them. Um, so all three players, they have bird rights to. So they're allowed to, the, the way the NBA operates is that there's a salary cap and some leagues like the NHL, you can spend up to that salary cap and then you're done. Um, in the NBA, it's a soft cap, which means that you can sign other teams free agents with your cap space. Uh, and if you don't have cap space, you need some other way to sign them. And there's a bunch of things we'll get into to do that. But otherwise you can't sign other teams free agents, but you're allowed to sign your own as long as you have the rights. Um, and the type of rights that they have it tells you how much you can offer them. Uh, and bird rights are the best kind. You can offer them anything. You can offer them up to their maximum salary for up to five years. Um, so if the Raptors really wanted to, they can keep Boucher and Thad Young. Like, no question. If they throw right. a five-year max at both those guys, they're going to sign it. The question is, how much do the Raptors value these guys relative to the cost it's going to take to keep them? Um so that sort of brings you to the, the mid-level exception, which is the big talking point this year. Very few teams this year are going to have cap space. By my figuring, it's five or six teams could have 20 million or more. But once you get down below that, once you get down close to 10, teams are actually better off not using cap space and just operating as an above-the-cap team and using their exceptions. Exceptions essentially are ways that when you're above the salary cap, you can still spend money. It's an exception to the salary cap. It's literally that. Um, so the mid-level exception is the most commonly used one. And basically the idea is that you can sign one player each year to the roughly average salary of an NBA player. This year it works out to like $11 million yeah. uh, over the course of a contract uh, per year. So this year a lot of free agents are going to find that that's their market. 
unless you're one of the lucky few that gets one of these teams with cap space interested in them, you're probably going to see a mid-level exception offer. So that's probably what it's going to take to keep Boucher. It might take a little more, <laughs> but um, that is likely his market. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. for. Uh, and what about Thaddeus Young? So Thaddeus Young is trickier to predict. <laughs> so Chris Boucher, for example, he's 29 or 30, and yeah. he's going to be looking for a term on his deal. This is like right. his big – he's never really gotten a payday deal. His last one with the Raptors was two years at $7 million each. Right. Um, so this is his big chance to sign a deal to eight digits per year and multiple years, get, get your money before you're in your mid-30s and you're not uh, not likely signing for much anymore. That's already in his mid-30s. <laughs> mid to late thirties. Uh, so he's in a situation where it, de- it depends on what the, the market is like for his skill set and his experience. Teams are probably not going to want to offer him term. Um, probably going to be giving him one or two year deals. Right. Um, I'm sure if the Raptors try to bring him back, they will do the same. They'll probably try to keep him on a shorter term deal. Um, so the dollar amount could be as high as the mid-level exception could yeah. be 10 million. It seems a little high for him, but it's possible. Um, but I expect it to come with less term on it than, than Chris Boucher. Yeah, that makes sense. And the Raptors do have their mid-level exception to work with. And if I'm not mistaken, they also have a biannual exception to work with as well. Can you get into what that is? Sure. So the biannual exception is essentially this extra exception that the NBA decided to give teams to just give them a little bit more spending power. Um, so there's actually a bunch of different kinds of exceptions depending on what your team is doing. So if your team is generally operating above the cap but below the luxury tax line which is basically a line set about 20 million above the cap um and if you go above that line you actually have to start paying fees because you're spending just too much on your on your roster you pay it to the 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 nba league office and they spread it around however they feel like um it's a big consideration for teams because those fees get very expensive very fast the further the tax bar so one of the other things that hurts teams that are in the tax, because the NBA wants to push a little bit of parity and prevent teams from just buying championships, is that if you're in the tax by too far, you aren't allowed to use the mid-level exception. You have to use a reduced version of it called the taxpayer mid-level exception, which is only $6 million instead of eleven, uh, sort of scale. So you've got a little more than half as much to offer as other teams. So if you're a free agent and there's one team offering you $6 million a year and another team offering you eleven. You're going to go to the team that hasn't already spent deep into the tax. Um, one of the other benefits for teams that don't spend deep into the tax, besides having the full mid levels, they get this biannual, which is called that because you get to use it every other year. If you use it this year, you don't get it next year. And it's just a little two year, you can offer up to a two year contract, and it's like $4 million Four a year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's above the minimum, even for veterans. So it can help you outspend teams that only have the minimum salary to offer. Um, but you're not getting a big game changer with that. Um, the big thing the Raptors have to consider with the biannual is they only have so many roster spots. Mm. Um, they've got a lot of very interesting guys that they might want to keep around. Um, Delano Banton, I imagine, is a lock to stay, even, even though he's got, no, a, sure. he's, got an, he's got an unguaranteed contract. Right. But they'll keep him. Sure. Armani Brooks has an unguaranteed contract. But, I mean, he showed out pretty well last year. I suspect yeah. they'll want to keep him. Um, you mentioned Utah Watanabe. I think he's probably going to be the odd man out. My face. I know. <laughs> it's very good. 
but he uh, he did very much struggle this past year, and they just have so many guys, and there's only so many spots. Um, Justin Champagny. Yes. Last year was on a two-way contract. He's probably not going to come back on another two-way contract. They probably have to have a real roster spot for him. Right. So you add him on. Now, maybe they cut Svi to open up a spot. But if they do that, they still are left with, assuming Champagne and all of them are on the, we got three spots left. Boucher, Fab, the mid-level exception. So then you don't even, you don't even have room to use the biannual in that situation. So um, it probably won't be used, but it's, it's always possible. Right. So now knowing that the Raptors do have the mid-level exception to work with, I'm going to throw some names out there that I've heard rumored and bandied about. Now, a lot of them, going to be honest, seem too pricey <laughs> for the Toronto Raptors to get. Starting off with a guy like Jalen Brunson, and I think a lot of the noise here specifically, one is that, you know, he's a Nova kid, just like Kyle Lowry. A lot of comparisons I'm seeing to a guy like Fred Van Vliet. Also, he was on Instagram in this city for no apparent reason in the offseason. It's not like it's Carabana. So <laughs> there was a lot of noise on Jalen Brunson. Now the Knicks seem ready to make that move and pull up with a Brinks truck. There's no reason that the Mavs would not do the same. Um, so he kind of seems like not someone you could probably get for the mid-level exception now knowing what it is. So <laughs> what are your thoughts? On, on Jalen Brunson there. Right. So, I mean, a player of that caliber, you wouldn't be able to get for the mid-level exception. But, um, I mean, like, even if, you know, you offered that, some other team would, would match. For sure. By a lot. Um, but what Dallas. you can do, even if you don't have a salary <laughs> cap space, sure. You don't have salary cap space, you can do a sign-and-trade. Yeah. So, if the player really wants to come here and he has enough leverage to get his team to agree to help that along, which the Knicks would be happy to provide, it sounds like. Um, then you can basically enter into a sign and trade, which is where a team will sign their own free agent and immediately trade them to another team. And it's all part of an agreement. They, when they sign the contract, it's like, I'm not really signing with you. I'm signing with this other team. <laughs> Go on, Dragic. Uh, being Toronto Raptors. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Kyle Lowry signed with the Raptors. But didn't really sign with the Raptors. He signed with the Heat. It's, <laughs> it's, like just a, the yeah, it's a nice way to give your team a parting gift on your way out, <laughs> you know? Right. And a lot of times the receiving team actually prefers that as well. They'll get a contract they don't want off the right. books, or they'll get an asset out of the out of the deal. You just send along a second round pick or something. Um, in the Raptors case, they actually got the asset uh, coming back their way, which was nice. Um, but of course, I had to take on Goran Dragic and operate near the tax all year, which was tricky for them. Um, so the, the key with a sign and trade is obviously you, it's a little trickier to pull off on a regular trade because in a regular trade, you need two teams to agree and in a sign and trade, you need two teams and a player. Right. So you've got, uh, yeah, the player has to agree to a certain salary structure and so does the team he wants to sign. And then the two teams have to figure out how to make that work, uh, according to trade rules. The tricky part about trade rules in the NBA, by the way, is that you actually have to match salary when you're making that trade, give or take. So generally speaking, uh, on bigger salary trades, you've got you've got to match within about 25%. So you can't just send a player away unless the other team has cap space to take him into. Right. Jalen Bunsen doesn't seem very likely. Am I, am I, is that what I'm picking up from you? Does not really. It's not, I mean, it's not likely 
in the sense that like DeAndre Ayton's also not like trade. Right. Exactly. Okay. That was that was someone <laughs> who was not even on my list, but I was gonna bring him up in just a bit, talking about Sunners. Uh we'll get into that. So someone else, uh so I'm just gonna throw some other names at you here. Next is a guy like Tyus Jones. Also, a lot of a lot of people really like a guy like Tyus Jones. Is that someone you think that could be on the market for the for the MLE there? I really like Tyus Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect a lot of teams will throw the mid-level at him because that's that's exactly sort of his price range. I think yeah. is a little above the mid-level would be ideal, but people can't offer that. <laughs> um, his home team can, unfortunately. So it'll be difficult, I think, to pry him away. But if they don't want to hold on to him, then maybe some team can sign him for the mid-level. Uh, or maybe he's dissatisfied and wants to get out of there. What about Bryn Forbes? Could the Raptors look to get a guy like that? I mean, they could. One of the big concerns with them using the mid-level this year is the Raptors are quickly approaching a significant salary crunch on their roster. Yeah. Uh, They have two major players uh, who will be expiring after this coming season or opting out of a player option, which is the same thing, essentially. Um, Gary Trent Jr. and, of course, Fred Van Bleet. Um, They will both want raises if they stick around. Even worse than that, the next season, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and Precious Achua. I I didn't even consider it. Precious is hitting restricted free agency, and he's going to cost. He's on on a rookie scale right now, so he's going to have a pretty significant raise. Um, So combine all those together. They're going to be either a little bit into or right at the tax line. Before they add anybody else, I'm talking, you resign Chris Boucher with term and you're into the tax. You're res- not, not this year, but the right. following two years when you give these raises. You resign Thad with term, you're going into the tax. You pay a mid-level exception guy term, you're going into the tax. So this is a consideration for the Raptors as they build. I don't know whether they want to spring that tax line trap until they feel like they're a contender. Yeah. Until they think that they're a top two team in their conference and have a chance to go all the way every year. Um, Masai uh, very strictly stayed away from paying the tax at all until the moment he made the Kawhi Leonard trade and then went basically very deep into the tax and made some little tax saving moves mid season. Um, but for the most but they did pay a significant tax bill that year. Um, so the couple other things about the mid level exception. Mm-hmm. I'll take it back to Christian Coloco for a second. Yeah. So first round draft picks get signed to what's called a rookie scale contract. Mm -hmm. It's a standard four-year contract that you get to sign your first round draft picks. Second round draft picks don't have anything like that. There is no standard. You can sign them to a max deal on day one if you want to, as long as you have the cap space or an exception to do so. Generally speaking, though, they're a second round draft pick, so they're going to get the minimum salary, (laughs) which is fine. Uh, one of the things that you want to do when you sign your draft picks is think about what their free agency is going to look like after their first contract is done. The Raptors last year signed Delano Banton to a two-year contract, which you can you don't need an exception for. It's right. called the minimum salary exception. You can sign any player to a two-year minimum salary deal. Anytime you can be over the cap, over the tax, doesn't matter. Anybody can do it. Um, I guess the exception is if you've managed to trigger a hard cap, uh, which is something that you can do. But uh, it's not a, a concern for the Raptors right now. Um, but Joe Lacob hasn't done it. They've got a ways to go. <laughs> well, 
Well, it's all about, it's not about spending, it's about mechanism. So right. for example, if That's the Raptors true. use their mid-level exception this year, yeah. they'll be hard capped. Okay. So they're not actually allowed to go more than like $7 million past the tax line. Mm. Now, they don't want to go past the tax line at all this year, so it's not going to be an issue. But they will be hard capped if they use their mid-level exception. So the issue with signing a player to a two-year contract as a rookie is that when they hit free agency, they'll be a restricted free agent, which is good. Uh, the bad news is you won't have their full rights, their bird rights. You'll have something called early bird rights, which means that you can only offer them about $10 million a year, about the average salary, right? Um, which sometimes is enough. Norm Powell uh, famously was the last person that signed this, that sort of extension with the Raptors. Um, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes another team will come make an offer, and it's those big, strange, backloaded deals that you hear about sometimes from the Gilbert Arena's provision, where teams are allowed to start at the mid-level and then make a massive jump in the third year. So you get these big, these contracts that are structured like 10 million, 10 million, 30 right. million, um, which can be complicated to deal with. Um, so what's really nice is to be able to, A, have the guy cheap for three full years, <laughs> and then B, have his full rights. You can offer him whatever you feel you need to when he hits free agency. Um, problem is you need an exception or cap room to do that, and the Raptors don't have cap room. And the only exception that lets you do three years is the mid-level. So if they want to give a million dollars to Christian Coloco, that's the minimum salary this year, on a three-year deal, that eats into their mid-level exception. So mm -hmm. instead of having an $11 million contract over four years, they have a $10 million contract to offer over four years. So right away, in the mid-level exception market, if they go that route with Coloco, you're, you're behind everybody else. You've got a whole league full of mid-level exceptions being offered, and you're a million short. Now, some other teams will make the same decision, but... If there's a bunch of teams out there with the full mid-level, then yeah. you're probably going to lose out on guys who, like Tyus Jones, who should probably make a little bit more than the MLE, but the MLE is just the market. Um, so you might lose out on those guys. The other consideration is what we were talking about before, do the Raptors want to offer term? Because they're worried about this incoming salary crunch. If they don't want to offer term, if somebody has a three-year, $30 million offer out there and you're offering a one-year, $10 million offer, you're probably not going to win that. Right. Now, those are rare exceptions. Somebody might be coming out from an injury and wants to rebuild their... Bet on themselves. Their, yeah, and basically be like, well, I can hit free agency next year and make yeah. twice as much. Um, so that's a possibility. I actually have my... I'm thinking maybe Ricky Rubio might be interested in something like that uh, this summer, depending on what his market's like. Um, yeah. But one year mid-level sounds like yeah. the sort of thing that he might be interested in. I'm but, glad you uh, said that because oftentimes, and I've been going, you know, talking to a lot of Raptor fans and they often feel like the Raptors just don't do enough in free agency. And it's never that tricky, right? I mean, it's never that easy, I should say. Um, and and I, I appreciate that we're not just looking at, and I'm glad that you sort of brought it up in this way, is it's not just about what their cap situation looks like next year. It's about projecting what their cap situation will look like when you have to pay OG Ananobi again and Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. and so on and so forth. I mean, all of these guys are going to eventually need to free up and get new contracts. And it's just, I appreciated you sort of putting it in that way because oftentimes I feel like Raptor fans look at this and I understandably so they're like, hey, we're not making any trades. 
We're not signing any guys. Where are the new people coming in without recognizing that the team is building something and working towards something. And that means investing in your guys. And that prevents you from necessarily bringing in additional content um, players. But that doesn't mean that the Raptors are not going to do that. So I like that you mentioned Ricky Rubio because that was one name that I was going to bring up. And then the other name that I was going to bring up is someone who can potentially be a backup big. Now, they probably found their person in Coloco. More than likely, hopefully, fingers crossed, but he is still a rookie. Is there anyone on the market that you think could be a one-year type of guy, similar to what they did with Aaron Baines there? Aaron Baines, of course, didn't work out for the Raptors. Um, not a name people like me bringing up, but um, is there someone out there, or is it just continuing with a guy like Kem Birch, who I think honestly does not get a fair rep from Raptor fans considering he was injured last year and he was really important and integral to what they did even going back to the Tampa season when the Raptors so desperately needed a big and we saw the difference when he was playing and when he wasn't and it, it's unfortunate that he had the season that he just had but I think he can just I think he's I think he's important to what the Raptors can do unless of course they get an upgrade there is someone on the market yeah so Aaron Baines is actually a great example of why it's hard to be too optimistic if you think they're not going to offer term. Aaron Baines is the center they got because they they wanted a one-year contract. Right. I think it was a two-year with the second year unguaranteed or something like that. Um, you want it to be a Bismack, but sometimes it's an Aaron Baines. Biz, yeah, Bismack was a biannual exception signing. They, there's there we a, go. An example of a biannual, Bring it back. Um, for one year. Uh, so that was that was a very good signing. The uh, but yes, usually it's an, it's a an Aaron Baines when you don't offer term is you're not getting the cream of the crop. Everybody's signing for term if they're worth it. Um, so you're making a bet on a guy to to be okay. But if you want to bet, make a bet on a guy to be okay, you bet on Kim Birch because he's like he's the epitome of an okay center. Yeah. He's he makes slightly sub mid level exception, which is just what you have to offer. He's already on the team. He already knows the the sets. He's fine with any role. Which is the most important part, guys. Yeah, and what's there, what's there to worry about? I mean, you might be worried that, you know, maybe the injury history, maybe he's just going to stay injured and he's, you decide he's not useful. Maybe you use him as a salary piece in a trade if you want to trade a, uh, find a Malachi Flynn trade, find a trade of a prospect or a, or a future pick or something for a shooter off the bench somewhere who makes about that much money. And then you go hunting for a, another backup big. But I wouldn't be adding another big with Kem on the roster because I personally don't want to bury Coloco. Like, I, I, I want him playing backup big minutes if he's capable. Um, and if he's – honestly, even if he's not capable right away, if one of the centers goes down, I want him thrown into the fire with backup big minutes in that situation. I want to just give him NBA reps and so he knows what he has to get to. If he's not ready. You might not like no. this. I'd like to see the small lineup go out there. If you guys burn it, if it's all, if it's a mess, it's fine. 82 I mean, practices. I'm, is that what Kawhi said? I'm fine with, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it didn't go well in the playoffs either. <laughs> no. <laughs> practice is over. Uh, the, the small Don't Make sure you are on an opposite side of the bracket than Joel and B, please. Yeah. That, that does help. Uh, mind you, like, the Raptors put out, there was, in one of those first, I think it was the first game, they were kind of hanging with Embiid, and then they got destroyed when he rested in that first game, and it was like... Yeah. Oh, those Paul Reed minutes killed you, and I was like, 
oh, okay, this series sucks. <laughs> this is, that's <laughs> where the for. that's where going small was supposed to be feasible, but it didn't uh, didn't work. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so for me, uh, I wouldn't be hunting for a big at this point, having drafted one. Uh, but it comes down to what else they do. Like if if Cam's moving out in a deal. Uh, then I then yeah they can go hunting for a big but again with their restrictions on their mid level unless they're ready to sign up to term and maybe give Coloco a two year two year deal instead mm-hmm. of three uh, yeah, they're probably they're gonna pick. I keep forgetting that yeah he feels like a first round pick yeah uh, they're gonna they're probably gonna be outbid on a lot of the top guys in the mid level market so I mean the other way they they can go is trades right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a trade trade a piece of your core or even Ken Birch. Like they do have these two free agents that they probably want to bring back at a certain price. But if the price is too high for them, or if Boucher is getting offers with term and they don't want to do that, maybe there's a sign and trade to be found there. And yeah. you get a moderately useful piece back in that sort of situation. That's a lot. That's a lot to chew on for what the Raptors can do in the off season. But I really do appreciate your expertise. I feel like lots of people just want the NBA trade machine opened up, want to make transactions like it's 2K a little bit. And, and there's a lot that goes into it and the decisions that the front office is making. And I think you're the best person to really speak to on this. Gave us a lot of knowledge. I hope for the people who sometimes you just don't know what all of these terms mean because there are so many of them. And you get into the weeds. There was a lot that I learned today as well as someone who tries to read a lot of your work, all of it as much as possible, and everything else about the cat and 90% of the time. (laughs) um, I hope people learned something because, you know, sometimes people just start talking and you're in the middle of a conversation. You're like, well, wait, what is that? And why do some teams have that? And why should the Raptors use that? And how is it going to hurt them in the future? And I hope that this conversation really did clear up a lot of that for everyone. And I hope that has everyone really prepped for what the Raptors can possibly do in the next coming months before the start of the regular season. So thank you so much, Daniel, for joining me today. Please tell everyone where they can find all of your great work. Sure. So, I mean, I occasionally write stuff for Raptors HQ. I should probably get on that and write one for, for this free agency. So that'll be up soon. Uh, and then also on, on Twitter is where I'm most active, uh, at uh, dhackett1565. All right, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me. 